Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We believe well-designed employee benefit programs enhance people's lives. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, how's your day going? Going well. Another podcast Friday. Looking forward to the weekend. Then it's supposed to be a hot one. Uh, first day of summer on Sunday. So looking forward to it. You're going to be out on your bike, aren't you? If the weather cooperates, which it sounds like it will, I absolutely will. We we're just mentioning I, I took my bike in for some repairs. It looks brand new. So I'm anxious to get back out on it again. Nice. And I might have to follow suit. I was telling Al this morning, my running days might be behind me. It's pretty hard on the joints these days. So you might see uh, well, me out there in the fancy spandex one of these days. Well, welcome to the dark days. side. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about today. I was really looking forward to this episode. Our guest today is Michael Ash. And Michael is an integrated strategist who has worked with advertising campaigns for some of the world's most famous brands and startups across seven, yeah, that's right, seven different countries. Brands such as Cadillac, Mercedes, Mazda, Dynacare, KitchenAid, HP, HSBC, True Local, WowTech, food banks, and Pizza Pizza, to name a few. And a name in there that stood out, of course, is True Local, a friend of the show and a, and a friend of ours, Mark LaFleur. And in fact, it's how we met Michael. So shout out to Mark. Keep doing what you do. Very inspiring and just does awesome work out there. So thanks to Mark. Michael's views have been published in Strategy Magazine, and he recently won a Grand Prix at the Shopper Innovation and Activation Awards with the Local Collective. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. Why don't we start at the beginning? Because I've always wondered, how does someone get into advertising? How did that all start? So I was originally supposed to go into animation. And in high school, my guidance counselor said, well, there isn't really money in animation. But if you like to come up with imaginary worlds, there's this thing called advertising where you can get paid for thinking of things out of thin air. So I thought that was really cool. And I put together a portfolio and went around shopping around town in different universities, got full scholarship from OCAD, and I went there to study art direction and copywriting. I studied art direction and copywriting, and I fell in love with the world of advertising and creativity. And towards the later years, we were introduced to the strategy side of things, the art and science being combined together. And I got really good at it. I got so good at it towards the final years that the profs were hiring me to help them on pitches and the strategy work. And so I was graduating with a full distinction, had a scholarship from Leo Burnett. I thought I was going to go and crush it. And it was a 2008 recession. I got out, couldn't find a job. I was going from door to door. And one of the things that I was doing was showing my portfolio of the work with the creative side and the strategy beside it. And everywhere I went, 
the creative directors were confused because they were saying, well, why are you showing us the strategy? You should just focus on the creative. And I said, I believe the art and science should go hand in hand. Like there's no way the other side wouldn't be there because that's just how I think. And that really ticked a lot of people off. So I didn't get much farther with that. And I said to myself, okay, maybe I got to go into the research side of things. And I went to research companies. I went to the strategy planner side of things. And I did these interviews and they were saying, well, how is it that someone from an art school is coming and trying to do business and strategy? And so I actually didn't almost get into advertising and kind of hit walls left and right. And I ended up pivoting my skill set to graphic design and went and got a job working for a town, a municipality and promoting recreation culture and planning my comeback into advertising for the next five years. And I was constantly looking at ways to come back into advertising because it's a very tough field to get into. And through that time, I started to keep my eyes open on taking on startups and at the same time, looking at new ways that advertising was evolving. So we had SEO kicking in, we had SEM kicking in, we had all kinds of email marketing tactics and the world of digital was colliding with the traditional side of advertising. And I saw that as an opportunity for me to not only improve the skill set, but create an offering for the smaller startups where I could build a portfolio to help them scale rapidly. And so after those five years, I finally got a break. I ended up working at this company where they saw my portfolio and looked at the work I had brought in through a presentation I gave for them. I showed them the opportunity and helped them with their marketing. And we got so successful. We got bought over by American competitors and everyone was let go. So I was back to square one again. And I said, oh my God, what am I going to do? Maybe it's all in my head. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe none of this is making sense. And I said to myself, well, I still want to get into advertising. And one of the meccas of advertising is London, England. So I said, I'll take my severance package and I'll go in London, England, and I'll try to find another job in advertising. So back in trying to get into advertising And I went door to door from company to company, doing all kinds of stunts to get their attention. And eventually there was this uh, casting call, more or less, for someone to come in and show the feature of marketing in 10 slides or less. And I went in and I gave that presentation and I got signed onto it. And I got exposed to brands like Mercedes and I got to learn about this new form of advertising where what is called digital marketing, where the world of the creative, the analytics and the strategy was being combined together. And I worked on mapping the user journey of the consumers in the UK and how they went about their Mercedes. And at the same time, I was growing in the ranks and working on collaborating with pitches for different auto manufacturers like Aston Martin, working with the AA, et cetera. And I thought to myself, man, I could take all this knowledge, come back to Canada, and I'm going to blow it out of the water and get into the advertising side in Canada. And I came back and I couldn't get a job in advertising in Canada. So I hit a wall again. And I spent the next five months going through all these interviews where people were saying, well, what's your UK experience was like? What? And I would be telling them about this thing where the creative, the strategy, and 
the data are combined together and it's coming. And they'll be like, yeah, we don't have a job description for that here, but thanks for coming. We loved your experience. And eventually I started to create these speculative decks that went around to different agencies. And I tried to show them, well, this is the possibilities for your client with digital marketing. This is the possibility for it. I didn't land anything in that agency world, but I got a break with the Art of Productions, which was the largest conference organizer in Canada. And they were very ahead of their time because they had speakers ranging from like Amy Cuddy to Gary Vaynerchuk to Chris Hatfield. And I had to get people to sit in those auditorium, fill up 2000 people. And I brought in those skills together, helped them trend nationally twice on Twitter with zero budget, helped them bring in their best sales record in 10 years and really combine the art and science of everything within advertising. And right around the one year mark, I started to get emails from people that I had emailed a year before with the deck that I was sharing. And they said, hey, we're reviewing your deck and we'd like to kind of poach you and come in. And that's where I got this opportunity to finally get back into advertising. And I started to work on all these big brands I started to show them what the possibilities are between combining the old traditional way of advertising and the new way of advertising. And I climbed the ladders and fast forward to today, I'm the integrated strategy director at an ad agency called The Local Collective. I'm listening to your story, Michael, and you come out of school and you can't find a job, but it sounds to me like early on in, in your own words, you knew you wanted to combine the art and the science and maybe the world wasn't ready at the time. So you faced a lot of setbacks. I'm curious to know, I know a lot of people who would have given up and maybe gone into another career, but you kept going. And I mean, so much, you went over to the UK and started knocking on doors. What was the motivation there to keep going and not give up on that idea that now it sounds like came to fruition eventually and you, and you had that idea early on. Why didn't you give up? What kept you going all that whole time? My curiosity, it's just something I couldn't shake off. There's something about feeling fulfilled when you're following your curiosity that nothing else gives me that feeling of being whole than following my curiosity. And everything else that I was doing was the rational way of trying to survive. And every time I had a setback and people were saying, well, why do you think you could do this? Why do you think you could do that? Looking at every book that I read, the self-help books, the Napoleon Hill books, all those books that always told me about persevering, if you really believed in something, I always believe that if you follow your curiosity, no matter how much the world tells you, it's not going to happen. If you have conviction in what you believe in, then it's a matter of perseverance and the walls are just there to stop other people. And sometimes it's the, like the timing. So that's, I think actually kind of why I just connect with startup founders a lot over the years is they see things where other people don't see it. The difference between them and the other folks is the conviction to keep going. It's a great message. Yeah. And the first time that we spoke a few weeks back, I got that same feeling from you. And I was impressed by the way that you talked about bringing the strategy and the science and the art together. And something that I'd never really heard before, but something that, that really grabbed me and fascinated me. And to hear now the obstacles that you had to go through, essentially because you were 
ahead of your time, right? People just weren't really, they hadn't got to the point where they really thought in the same manner that you did. So that's, I was impressed at the time. And again, you, you've just reiterated that today. Can I ask you, if you are going back now in time, what is there that you wish you'd known that you know now that would have helped you when you began your career? What I wish I followed more back then was that curiosity and that blissful curiosity and not listening to people putting those walls there and feeling defeated. So I actually think because I settled at the beginning for five years, because I stuck with one avenue and I said, well, everybody said, well, just give up. Like, why do you want to keep continuing? Go get a safe job. Do that career lateral thing. Stay in government. And I fed into that at the beginning. And I wonder what could have happened if I knocked on more doors. And so the strange thing that I'll tell you is the company that ended up poaching me the Red Lion Company, the same company I had gone to years before, and they had said no to me. And it was under a different management. And the thing that I think about from time to time is like so many people that I see lose heart along the way. And I lost heart for five years and I was trying to do that comeback and get back into it. But if I have to be honest with myself, the first three years of that, I was a zombie staring at cubicles and trying to figure out that plan, but my heart wasn't really fully in there. That's a great story. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. And I'm sure that, you know, a number of people, especially when they're coming out of school, right? They have this idea, they've gone, you know, through a certain journey, they've got some great ideas. And then you come out of school and someone say hit this wall of reality, if you will. And I'm sure a lot of people just like you, they will give up on their dreams and they'll get that nice safe job because that's what people tell them to do. But a great story that you, and especially looking back, that you are able to figure out how to get back to what your dreams were. Yeah. And I'm really thankful that I was able to wake up after that five-year kind of dry run and get fed up to the point where I was going to go back into following it. Usually I feel like the line is the other way around and I feel really lucky that the dip didn't go all the way down to the point where I just got stuck into the system. And I always think about that Steve Jobs video where he says, everything you see around you is made up by people who are no smarter than you. And you could change it and you could influence it. But the world just wants you to live in your little box, build a nice life, build that sense of security. And what I started to notice was just the world is becoming more and more inconsistent. And that linear progress that you want in life isn't guaranteed. So the only thing that you can do is try to influence the things that you can control. And I think the thing a lot of people get caught up in is trying to influence things that are outside of their control instead of figuring out how to maneuver inside the system. So I like to think that I'm also a systems thinker. And instead of trying to bash my head into the wall of bulldozing, say, the brick wall, I'll try to figure out if there's a rope to throw on top of that wall and get around it. And I think that's kind of something that takes a long time to figure out with anything, 
especially within the startup world or any kind of professional business that I've helped out. We would all love to think and believe and hope, as you say, the world is linear and it just goes in a nice, smooth gradient without any any ups and downs. No, that, that's just no. not the way it works. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's a fallacy. That's... It's strange that we still kind of subscribe to it as we're growing. I'm so happy to be around a lot of people who are growth mindset oriented. And I think the biggest fallacy for a lot of the younger people who get into whatever career paths they get into is that they're going to get X, Y, and Z and that the world is going to deliver them X, Y, and Z. I think going back into what you were asking, if I had known something earlier, I felt extreme depression. The fact that I was graduating at the top of my class, full scholarship and couldn't get a job. And I couldn't get into that field that I was passionate about. And at the same time, there was a bit of entitlement to think that if you have the knowledge and if you have the skills that the world somehow deserves to reward you for it. And that's when the most rewarding lesson to learn is that every stage in life, I try to remind myself, no matter what the award or the stage I reach in life is the world doesn't owe you shit. <laughs> and so yeah. you just got to keep hustling for it and figure out what your next move is going to be. It reminds me of the meme I see sometimes on, on social media. No one is coming to save you. Exactly. Right? It's, it's all up to you. I do want to pivot a bit because you have accomplished a lot. I mean, just in the intro, reading out some of those brands, I mean, you know, world-renowned brands. But talk to us about your biggest accomplishments so far. The biggest accomplishment so far came recently with my work with the local collective as a team. We won an award for Shopper Innovation. We got a client, which was the Roncesville BIA, and they came to us and they said, you know, a lot of the folks around our neighborhood are struggling with their businesses because it's the holiday season, it's COVID, it's really tough, and we need more people to shop local. A lot of the folks say we love to shop local. Majority of Canadians like to say they shop local, but the reality is they have Amazon boxes stacked against their house. And so the team had come across the insight through the research that it's the absence of these favorite stores that people have that actually creates their urgency. So closing soon doesn't create as much urgency as the business has gone out and then they walk by it and say, oh, if I only knew that these guys were really in trouble. So the team came up with this idea to shut down more than 50 stores. And so we got out there in the middle of the night in November and we boarded up all these stores with for lease signs and we created shock and urgency in the community so much so that the way we had orchestrated it through social, through the stunt itself, through the MPs and MPP coming in at sequence times, we started the day off with shocking people through the social channels. And people then started walking on the street and they were losing their mind. It was complete chaos. And then the message started to roll out. Then the reveal came later in the day that Amazon, is never up for lease. And so the signs came down and it was revealed that this was a campaign. And by that point, we had 
all kinds of news trucks coming in and we had over 47 different outlets covering. It got national coverage, generated over 250 million earned impressions, coverage for more than 70 hours. And it was a big accomplishment because that's the type of thing that you would typically need millions of dollars to do with the ad agency model itself. And so that was a big accomplishment, not only for that, but also putting a spotlight on shopping local in a way that really captured the heart and minds of people with the BIA that we were working with. And then independently, one of the things that I always wanted to prove to myself is that I could take this knowledge that now I've helped all these corporations and I could apply the fundamentals of the art and science being combined together for a startup. And a startup came to me around a year and a half ago and the guy said, listen, I got no money, but I got this great idea and I'm working on it. And I hear this all the time. And I looked at the product, I looked at the software, it was great software for B2B sales. And I said, okay, I'll take you on, I'll help you. And within a matter of less than a year, I was able to use just digital marketing along with traditional brand building guidance and help scale the brand going from zero to 1,000 monthly recurring revenue, 2,000, 3,000, four, 10, and now take that and double it, two to three X that in terms of monthly recurring revenue within less than a year. Wow. And I felt confident that, you know what, this stuff works. And I felt vindicated in terms of all those years going back in terms of people saying, doesn't make sense to do this and combine this and there's this and this. So I think those two are my biggest accomplishments is making an impact in the communities on the corporate side of the world and then independently being able to help the startup scale rapidly. I remember that story and I had no idea that that was you that you had done that. Because I remember talking to my wife, said, oh my God, look at all these businesses that are going on a business. And, and then of course the reveal came, it's like, oh, it was brilliant. And you didn't mention that the first time, maybe maybe it wasn't launched. I, I can't remember the date that we just spoke, but you didn't mention that to us last time. So that's amazing. Yeah, and it's a testament to the team at the, the local collective. And it's something that we're able to pull off together. And I'm really proud that we made that impact. And that's just the power of what happens when you combine all those things together and you look at it in a full integrated way. That is just a brilliant idea. And talk about thinking outside of the box, right? People don't pay attention unless you make them pay attention, right? So that's that's amazing. Just incredible. That is a great lead into my next question, Michael. And you talked of your second accomplishment there of basically starting with someone who was, who was basically just starting out and going back to, you know, running into obstacles and, and wouldn't it be nice if everything were a nice, smooth gradient, but working with entrepreneurs is not. Working with startups is not. There's lots of ups and downs. So why do you choose to work with entrepreneurs? I see a lot of them and myself in terms of the struggles that they go through. A lot of the times they're dreamers and creators and they have ideas that other people don't see because of the timing but they have this conviction about them and they're hungry and they wanna give value to the world. And a lot of times it's either their timing that might be off or their fundamentals are off. And I see so many of my favorite startups that kind of rise and then go out because they didn't have the fundamentals. And what happens with a lot of startups is like, 
almost always they have a core group of people in the early days who are just naturally interested in you know, a small business that's rising. And so you get your tribe or you get your small group of followers, but then when they start to scale, they focus so much on their customer loyalty and trying to do this kind of process of building their tribe and building their niche that they are not able to scale in a way that's going to sustain them. And I think that's one of the things that I want to equip these startups with. It's the knowledge that these major corporations use and knowing that your share of voice is more often than not correlated with your share of market. So you don't wanna just talk to people who are only interested in a niche thing. You wanna get going with people that might be interested in your thing occasionally. And I think a lot of startups and the startup culture that we're in, we really romanticize this idea of our core group, our core tribe. But when you get down to the fundamentals and look at how you can grow it, it goes beyond that. And the second thing is a lot of startups are really great at the idea, but their branding is not necessarily where it needs to be. And they love to use the word of being lean and pivoting but then what happens is that over the course of, say, in the year or two or three years that they're building their brand, they're constantly changing their look and feel. They're constantly changing their distinct assets. And so when you think about the consumer and what those memory structures are, the consumer starts to have these disconnected memory structures of what these startups are. And so one day they look like this, another day they look like that. And the fundamental between the art and science says, hey, buddy, you got to make yourself look and feel in a certain way. And if you are going to change it, that's fine. Everybody changes. But you got to keep some things that are consistent. And I think where they lose out is that, again, they have the heart, they have the tenacity, but they lack the fundamentals at times. And I want to bring in those lessons to them. So, Michael, we've, we've talked about working with entrepreneurs and, and some of the reasons why and, and some of the things that you can bring to the table. What are some of the tips you can give to not only startups, but, you know, maybe younger firms to help them grow their brand rapidly with advertising? It kind of connects to what we're just talking about. And I think a lot of the smaller firms, people that want to grow rapidly, have to focus on going beyond their loyalty marketing, A, the other part is doing a nice balance between the art and science of it. Sometimes a lot of people get obsessed with trying to do the sales tactics and they leave the storytelling behind. And we know that stories are 22 times more powerful than facts alone. And so they get caught up in trying to think, okay, I got a very small budget. How am I going to divide this budget? Well, I got to get the sales. Let's dump it all into search engine marketing and SEO. Almost every startup that I hear about or business starting up. And there are a lot of things you can do to hack that, to scale that. So there are, for example, stunts you can do, articles you can get published in to hijack the search engine, to steal some time, to be able to get noticed quicker. There are things you can do in terms of storytelling. There are things you can do in terms of building your distinct assets. 
Coca-Cola, I think, going back into their early days, gave a brief out to their designers and said, we want a bottle that's so recognizable that if we throw it and it breaks into a million pieces, it's going to be recognizable even with the shards. And they came back with that distinct design. And that bottle really hasn't changed over 100 years. But it's that piece of original, ownable, smashable brand that a lot of startups or businesses don't really have. And so they get caught up in the ideas, they get caught up in the service and the values, but they got to romanticize and build things that are going to stay in people's heads just as much as they're going to try to give the sales. And then in terms of if there was a gun to their head and they were trying to map out their budgeting, the rule of thumb is spend 60% of your energy on brand building if you're a B2C company and then 40% of it on sales. And if you're a B2B company, that's slightly different. It's about 55% is going to be on sales and then the 45% and that other sense is going to be the brand building side of it. And using these slight fundamentals, again, mixing the art and science of it can really help you grow. And I think a lot of people get caught up, especially in the early days with just believing that the data and the performance marketing can help them scale rapidly, but combining the art and science of it does wonders. I love doing this podcast because I learn something every single time and, and you've given us so much information here today. And I, and I think the listeners are, are going to really enjoy this episode, but you've done it twice to me now in, in the podcast. I didn't realize early on that was you pulling that stunt as you called it about closing down. So that was, that was really cool. But the Coke bottle, you are absolutely right. That breaks. You still know that's a Coke bottle anywhere in the world, that's right? It. Just amazing. This has been fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad that we've met. We're in each other's networks now. And as I said, I think our listeners are going to get a lot of value out, out of this. So thanks for joining us today, Michael. And I think it's an amazing story. It's a story of persistence and, and curiosity and, and what led you to become where you are now. So I think it's, it's a great message to, to deliver. What's the best way for people to reach out if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at your firm? If you want to reach me out on social, my handle is at the Michael Ash. You can also visit my website, themichaelash.com, or send me an email at michael at themichaelash.com. All right, wonderful. All right, that does it for today's episode. As always, I really enjoyed these conversations. I hope you do too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one. One.